0: Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us. This is a personal finance show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein. Today is episode 280. It's titled The Trust Economy. Pearl and I have been in Mexico City the past few days. When I travel, and I'm sure when you travel, you have rules of thumb, heuristics based on prior experiences, things that didn't work out so well. Here's an example of mine when we arrive in a new country. First, get cash at the airport. Because of the time that I got stranded in Tokyo with my family, because I didn't get cash, and we were in the middle of Tokyo, late into the night, no ATM would take our card, and we never made it to our Airbnb. So get cash at the airport. Second, use an ATM to get that cash because you get a better exchange rate. Three, use a bank ATM. I learned that from getting my debit card compromised at a sketchy ATM in Brooklyn. Fourth, make sure you grab all the things from the ATM after you get your money. I learned that because I lost my travel pillow because I left it on the ATM in London Gatwick's airport. And finally, retrieve your ATM card because, well, that's just common sense. Except this time I forgot to get my card back. From the machine. L'April saw a woman in the line behind us. And the woman didn't say anything. And it wasn't until I got to our Airbnb that I saw. Because I got a text from Schwab. That there was $120 charged on the ATM card at a convenience store. Three different transactions. We canceled the card. I felt stupid. And I, I felt mad. Because somebody stole my card and used it. My trust in others was diminished a little bit. Now, we've had things stolen before. After leaving them behind, my son lost his backpack that was full of his electronics and his sketchbook at a restaurant rest stop on the Audubon in Germany. But we have also left things and no one has touched them. I left a bag in the middle of Manhattan. No one took it. A camera we left at a restaurant on the table in Seoul. For almost 45 minutes, it was still there when we got back. This idea of trust got me wondering, is there a level where the trust in others is so low that the economy seeks to function? So then I wanted to know, well, how trustworthy are individuals in different countries? There's a survey called the World Values Survey that's been going on since the early 1980s. And they ask individuals in different countries, here's the question. In general, do you think that most people can be trusted? Or can't you be too careful? The country that has the highest level of trust, according to that survey, based on that question, is Norway, with 73% say that most people can be trusted. Netherlands at 66%. Sweden, China are at 60%. Australia is at 54%. Then there are a number of countries below 50%. Less than half the people believe that others can be trusted. Germany is at 45%. Canada, 41%. Japan, 36%. The U.S., 35%. India, 33%. UK is at 29%. And then near the bottom, France is at 19%. Here in Mexico, 12% of individuals say they trust others, and Brazil was the lowest I could find at 7%. There's other studies that show that there is some correlation. In countries where the level of trust between others is low, they have lower trust in public institutions, such as the government, the police the court system, that level of trust in the U.S. has been going down. The U.S. does a general social survey, and they've been surveying to see whether citizens of the U.S. trust the federal government. But the question they ask is, do you as an individual trust the government in Washington? In 2018, only 17% of Americans say that they trust the government, just about always or most of the time. It was 77% in 1964. Then, when President Nixon resigned, it was 36%. 26% at the end of the Carter administration in 1980. It peaked in the mid-40s during the Bush and Clinton administrations. Right after 9-11, under George W. Bush, 60% of Americans said they trusted the government in Washington to do what is right just about always, or most of the time. But by the end of his administration, it was down to 25% when Obama took over, and Obama never got over 25%. It was at 19% when Trump entered office, and now it's 17%. Trust is very low in the U.S. and other countries when it comes to the government. Trust is low when it comes to interpersonal trust. Do we trust those around us? What about brands? Do we trust the businesses that we buy from? The 2019 Edelman Trust Barometer Special Report showed that on average, just 34% of consumers say they trust most to the brands they buy and use. In other words, we're buying things from brands we don't even trust. What's surprising, though, that same study showed that 81% of consumers say that trust in brands is an important part of their purchase behavior. Yet only a third say they trust the brands they buy. Interestingly, that study showed that 63% of consumers do trust influencers' opinions of products much more than what the brands say, which I guess is why podcast advertising exists. Here's a quote from economist Kenneth Arrow. Virtually every commercial transaction has within itself an element of trust, certainly any transaction conducted over a period of time it can be plausibly argued that much of the economic backwardness in the world can be explained by the lack of mutual confidence. And Jeffrey A. Simpson, an academic from the University of Minnesota, wrote, trust involves the juxtaposition of people's loftiest hopes and aspirations with their deepest worries and fears. So here's the question. If most people don't trust other people, or public institutions, or brands, how is it the economy still functions? I went searching for the answer to that question and found an interesting paper by economist Stephen Knack. It was titled Trust, Association Life, and Economic Performance. He pointed out that in a a low-trust environment that you just trade goods in the spot market for cash. You give someone money and they give you the item and you hope that they will give you that item immediately. But most economic transactions don't occur right away. They occur across time or space. We buy and then we pay later. We had a new heating and cooling system put in in our house in Arizona. They didn't take any money at all. They called a couple days later and say, hey, would you make arrangements for payment?" many of our transactions, we do pay on credit. I've noticed a much greater use of credit cards at restaurants here in Mexico compared to our previous trip. Most economic transactions involve what Robert Putnam, the economist, identified as social capital, which he says are features of social organization, such as trust, norms, and networks that can improve the efficiency of society by facilitating coordinated actions. Our economy is so complex, and it's based on layers of trust. It's based on networks, and for networks to be effective, you need trust. After my ATM card was stolen, we took an Uber to our Airbnb. We had a choice. We could have taken a taxi. But I had heard that taxis can be dangerous in Mexico City. There have been, not very many, but a few express kidnappings where the taxi driver took the individual, they were held for ransom as hostage. So instead of getting in a pink and white taxi with registered plates, a registered driver, a taxi meter, I instead got into an unknown private vehicle that was assigned to me by an algorithm from a company, Uber, who just days before released a security report in which they said there had been 5,981 reports of sexual assault involving U.S. passengers on Uber in 2017 and 2018. London transport regulator just found Uber was not fit and proper to operate there due to some of their ways of operating. Particularly, sometimes the driver of the Uber had never been registered. They were using a different person's credentials. Now, it turns out with Uber, you read their safety report, the vast majority of trips end safely, 99.9%. 1.4% of the trips had a support request of some kind, such as a lost item, a refund, or a route feedback. 0.1% had a report Regarding a safety-related concern, 0.003% of trips had reports of a critical safety incident. But why was I willing to take an Uber versus a taxi? We enter into economic transactions that require trust because the payoff for doing so, getting what we want, is greater than the cost of uncertainty about whether the transaction will go through or not, or we will be harmed in some way. The benefit is always greater than the cost to protect ourselves against getting ripped off. I was willing to enter into the Uber transaction because I thought I would get what I wanted. And if I didn't, the cost would be low or the odds of that would be very, very low. Kenneth Knack in his paper, outlined sources of trust the first layer is what he called a first party enforcement mechanism is we do the right thing because of our moral code and trusted others have a moral code that they will be honest that they look honest. us we just trust them the very base layer we often don't do that i mean they're asking in these surveys do you trust other people Do you trust brands? And they say no. So there are other mechanisms. A second mechanism is we trust because there are incentives in place to encourage us to continue to play the game. I trust a person or business won't rip me off because they want my repeat business. We're going to have an extended relationship. This is often in a a closed circle. You go to your local store You assume they're not going to rip you off because they want to stay in business. There's a third layer of trust, what NAC calls a third-party enforcement mechanism. These are social sanctions, the court system, regulators, where there's some other entity that's not involved in the transaction. That second layer is just between me and the company they assume they're gonna that I'm gonna pay and I assume they're gonna deliver the service because we wanna have an extended relationship. But that third layer is that we believe that company will act because if they don't, they will be ostracized, or their leadership will go to prison, or they'll get sued, or or there's some other mechanism to force their compliance. So those are the three layers. So when we look at it in terms of Uber, I was more trusting of Uber than a taxi driver, because I assume that driver wants to continue to drive for Uber and maintain his or her reputation in terms of the number of the stars they have, their rating, as they add another ride and get a five-star review. I was more trusting of Uber because I knew how much the trip would cost before I stepped into the car. I trusted Uber would do some type of due diligence on the driver because they, Uber, wants to stay in business. The cost was also low for the trip, and the cost of making sure we were heading in the right direction was low, because I could follow on Google Maps on my phone to see if we were headed in the right direction. And finally, I felt like I could exit the car if the trip wasn't going as expected or if the driver was driving erratic. Now, I can't say that I actually trusted the driver. If this was a different transaction, where there was more money at stake... A business transaction. I can't say that I trusted that particular driver. I don't even know who the driver is. And we've taken a number of Uber trips since we've been here. I don't know who they are. But there's these mechanisms in place that allows this transaction to occur that's based on trust. But it's not simple interpersonal trust. It's a structure of trust built in to the economy. Social capital is what it is. Now consider my Airbnb stay. Much larger cost. Hundreds and hundreds of dollars to stay here for a week. I don't know the host. But I trust that he wants to maintain a good rating with Airbnb. And I read reviews from others that have stayed here. And I trust that those reviews are accurate. And that the system hasn't been gamed. I mean, sometimes you can see that with a new host that the... Reviews are from their friends. You can just kind of tell how they're worded. But these look legitimate. I could see the profiles of those that have stayed here in the past. I could see pictures. The place looked trustworthy. Turns out this Airbnb is owned by an economist. There's an entire bookshelf filled with economic and financial texts, including Nassim Nicholas Talib's Anti-Fragile in Spanish. Finally, when we got here... The place looked as it was described. I had the backing of Airbnb that if if it wasn't what was described, I could leave, not check in, and get a refund. So that ensured trust. It felt safe. The host showed us all three layers of locks, three different doors to locks, three different keys, and was very specific when we got in to even do some additional locks, bolting the door to the floor. That was to make us feel safe, not to protect us from the outside. I realized later, when there was some squeaking in the middle of the night, because I knew there were three layers of locks, that I was going to be okay, and I suspect there's three layers of locks because the owner doesn't want all the guests calling them up in the middle of the night because they're afraid. Before continuing, let me pause here and share some words from this week's sponsors. With everything getting more expensive these days, it's wise to find ways to cut costs and boost performance at the same time. You can do that with NetSuite. And by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com david. That's netsuite.com david. netsuite.com david. If you're looking for a central location to get the key information on the markets, the pulse of what's going on, I can't think of a better spot than Yahoo Finance. was just there. could see very quickly what happened today, how stocks sank to end their worst month of 2024. I could see the actual market declines for the US, Europe, Asia, what interest rates did, commodities, currencies. I could see holdings of mine that I recently viewed, and key headlines from leading financial publications all in one place, one screen at Yahoo Finance, without any annoying pop-ups. Plus, with Yahoo Finance, you can get a consolidated view of all your investments and retirement accounts, all in one place. The key to investing is access to quality information, and you can get that at Yahoo Finance. They've completely redesigned the website. It's comprehensive, it's high quality, and it can help you with your investing. So for comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com. It's the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. The economy is based on trust. Because there's this social capital and there's these layers of trust there's a systematic structure that allows us to enter into transactions even if we're surveyed and asked do we can most people be trusted we say no here's what stephen knack wrote in some countries the structure of incentives steers people primarily toward producing new wealth while in other countries it's easier to gain wealth by diverting it from others. The relative payoffs of production and predation, or making versus taking, are determined by legal mechanisms for enforcing contracts and protecting property rights, but also by social norms and interpersonal trust. Now, Mexico's an interesting example for this. A month or so ago, in the city of Culiacan, in the state of Sinaloa in Mexico, trust broke down. The government forces tried to capture the son of former cartel leader Joaquin Guzman Loera, known as El Chapo. When they captured his son, the cartel basically took over the city, started burning cars, blocking traffic. It was complete chaos. People were killed. There were gunfights in the street. And ultimately, the Mexican government released Obedio Guzman Lopez, El Chapo's son. Now, that's terrifying. And they asked some of the citizens, the residents of Culiacan, and said that was the right choice to let them go. But this idea of taking versus making, and is there a level where there's a tipping point where no one trusts anymore, that the structures in place, the incentives, the social capital don't work anymore? I don't think, I think there's pockets of Mexico that are like that, but most are not. One of the things about trust, though, is that the more social trust there is, the better the economic growth. In other words, as social trust increases, economic growth improves. There's a study by Christian Bjornskov, and he says a number of studies in economic growth literature have in recent years found social trust to be an important and robust determinant. Of economic growth. And he tried to figure out, well, what were the drivers? As trust increases, what actually influences more economic growth? He said it was more schooling. As trust increases, there's just better education system. And that leads to higher economic growth. And there are just better governance structures in place that allow for just greater trust, more complex transactions. A larger network of individuals that's willing to interact and trust each other, often with credit, that facilitates transactions over time and over space, long-distance transactions. As we hear in Mexico City, they're hoping to do the final negotiations for the revision of the North America Free Trade Agreement between the U.S., Canada, and Mexico. This is a controversial agreement. And all sides, there are always individuals that feel hurt by it. I've read articles about those in Mexico, particularly some of the traditional markets feel hurt and financially harmed by the big retailers that have moved in, the Walmarts of the world and their subsidiaries. have economically harmed a lot of the local merchants, just like we've seen in the U.S. The same time you have auto workers in the U.S., complaining that the lower wages in Mexico have economically harmed them because the Mexicans are able to build cars at 10% of the wages of the U.S. workers. A year ago when I was in Mexico, I recorded an episode on that, episode 231, what determines how much you make and why do auto workers in Mexico make way less than those in the U.S.? Free trade agreements can lead to elaborate logistic systems in terms of the complexity of auto manufacturing as parts and inventory move back and forth between the U.S. and Mexico. And it can lead to increases in tourism, and has. I saw a report that in Mexico City, the number of foreign tourists is up 17% from January Through August 2019. 15 million visitors to Mexico City, a town that has only 21 million inhabitants. There are 17 million spaces, either a room or a tire house to rent in Mexico. The hotels are complaining because of that. Their revenues are down 5% in the past year. And they complain, and rightly so, that Airbnb. Hosts, they pay less taxes, they have less fees. And one of my questions is, is my being here, staying in an Airbnb, using Uber, is that helping or hurting the citizens of Mexico? It's hard to answer. What I've found absolutely surprising is how few tourists I see. There are definitely places where there's just too many tourists relative to their population. Some of the towns that I visited a few years ago in Cuba... Tourists everywhere. Venice has got a reputation for that. Barcelona. But Mexico City, and granted I'm here during the low season between Thanksgiving and Christmas, we've seen very few Americans or Canadians or Europeans. Yet there's 17 million Airbnb spaces. What's fascinating is tourism is the second highest income-generating activity in the city. Right after direct foreign investment in projects, in Mexico City and third is remittances from workers in the US think about that the highest is direct investment people trusting different projects and investing in Mexico that requires trust the second is tourism visitors coming to Mexico City and trusting that they will be safe and the third is workers In the U.S., sending money back to Mexico City. I think we need to travel. Now, maybe we shouldn't travel in places that just is too heavily traveled, that it starts to impact negatively on households. But generally, more income for Mexico City means businesses can pay workers better and there's more opportunity to earn. Now, there's some downside. It pushes up rents in some of the areas, like we're we're staying in Roma, Try renting an apartment, it's 1500 to $2,000 a month to rent an apartment, mainly because it's just like in the U.S. You can make more money oftentimes as a owner using Airbnb. But I think it's important to travel because it helps us to build trust, extend trust, and build economies around the world. But there can be too much of it. We need to be aware of that. Now, is there a tipping point where we no longer trust? each other and the economy just sinks and we go back to cash spot market the immediate transaction if there is it would take a really really low level of trust and a breakdown of this incentives to where it became way more profitable to take from others than it would be to produce a good or service on our own and Fortunately for most of the world, we're not even close to being there. There are certainly pockets, and hopefully trust prevails so those pockets don't grow over time. That is episode 280. You can get show notes at moneyfortherestofus.com. While you're there, please sign up for my free weekly insider's guide. It's the email to the articles and other materials I referenced in that episode. I also sent an essay on money, investing, and the economy. Some of the best writing I do each week just goes to that email list. It's not available on the public web and you can sign up for that at moneyfortherestofus.com. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education. I'm not considered your specific risk situation. I'm not provided investment advice. This is simply general education on money, investing, and the economy. Have a great week.